Good morning, everyone. My name is Dan. I'm a member here at Grace, and it's my honor to preach to you this morning. Uh, the intro for the sermon is actually just a group of Bible verses. So as I read these, I want to invite you just to listen and let God's Word set the framework, set the direction of where we're going today. First one's Colossians 3.17, and we'll be back in, in Psalm 73, so keep your, keep your hand there in, in the Bible. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Psalm 107, 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. 1 Chronicles 16.34, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist said in Psalm 69.30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Over and over again in scripture, there are many more that we just don't have time to read this morning. The Bible tells us to give thanks, enter with thanksgiving, have a thankful heart, live in, 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 a, in, a, in a mindset of thankfulness. And so you have to wonder, why does God command us to be thankful. Honestly, our thankfulness does not benefit God in any way. God does not need us to be thankful. God is not more loving, gracious, forgiving, beautiful, long-suffering, generous, or good because we're thankful. Thankfulness, my friends, actually guards us. It guards our hearts and minds because thankfulness or lack thereof, affects the way that we see the world and the way we see God. And we'll see that in this passage, Psalm 73. Four points this morning. First one is this. Thankfulness guards us from wandering. We see this is a psalm of Asaph, and he says in Psalm 73, verse 2, As for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Thankfulness is a choice. The Bible commands us to be thankful. We have a choice to obey or to disobey. And thankfulness is a result of what we choose to put our gaze upon. We can set ourselves up to either obey with thankfulness or disobey by being unthankful. Back in the time of Daniel in the Old Testament, there was a man named Darius who was the king of Babylon. And a decree was set forth that if anyone made any plea to any god or any man except Darius for the next 30 days, they would be cast into a den of lions. And in Daniel chapter 6, we see uh, Daniel's reaction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. 
You see, our thankfulness is not the result of our circumstance. It's been a great day, therefore I'm thankful. It's been a bad day, therefore I'm grumbling and I'm complaining. We see Daniel praying in the midst of facing death, as was his custom, praying and giving thanks, giving thanks to God, not because of his circumstance, but in spite of his circumstance. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Asaph in Psalm 73 said, His feet almost slipped when he envied the wicked and the arrogant. See, focusing on the wicked speaks to the wickedness in our own hearts, doesn't it? Our, our care for the prosperity of the wicked and our focus on what others have shows our distrust in God. We're basically saying, because I don't have this, I deserve more than what God has given me. My pleasure and joy in life are not enough. What I have is not enough. And when we set our personal standard by what others have, instead of on scripture, we're setting ourselves up to be ungrateful, grumbling, unthankful people. We can hear Asaph's uh, confession of belief in verse one of Psalm 73. He says, truly, God is good to Israel. Truly, to those who are pure in heart. And he's acknowledging that God is never the problem. God is good, he's saying, but when I look away, when I set my eyes on other things, I can quickly forgive that. So know that focusing on anything other than Christ puts us on unsure footing. Look at verses two and three of Psalm 73. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So it's a good time to ask, who is this Asaph guy? In the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 6, we have this list of men that King David put in charge of the, t the temple and the Ark of the Covenant. And among those names listed was a Levite priest named Asaph. So what we know is he was not a new believer. He was a very experienced, mature man of God with a faithful uh, with a track record of, of faithful service to God. And this is an important point to note because he was not a new believer. He was not a weak believer. He was, he was no lightweight. He'd walked with God. He'd served God for a long time. And in his maturity, he was able to recognize and humbly confess, when I focus on the wrong things, my feet are unstable. My feet begin to slip. No matter how long you've been walking with God, no matter how long you've been in church or you've been in, in the word, you can never let your guard down. You take your eyes off Christ, your feet can begin to slip. A lot of you don't know much about me. I'm a physical therapist assistant, and right now I work in outpatient orthopedics, but the beginning of my career was mostly in skilled nursing and rehab. And so a lot of that time I spent helping people learn how to get out of bed, how to get from a wheelchair to a toilet, how to walk, how to stand up. And what I typically will do is, if someone's starting from the basics, maybe they had some sort of health issue that caused them to be in bed for two weeks in the hospital, they've lost all their leg strength, they've had some sort of traumatic brain injury or spinal cord injury, and they're starting from scratch, we always go to a quiet area. And we start with the basics of how to stand up, how to shift your weight correctly, how to take your first step. And then little by little, 
we increased the challenge. And eventually, I would take a patient to the busiest, loudest area in the facility. And the result would be predictable. Now, they're walking. I'm holding onto them with this gate belt. And there's all these distractions. There's nurses going around. There's other patients. And they get distracted by that. And before you know it, they stumble. I catch them, set them down in the wheelchair. And they always did the same thing. Wow, I better pay attention to what I'm doing or I'm going to fall. Absolutely. In this world, it's so easy to get distracted by the things around us. We're looking, what does everyone else have? What is everyone else doing? Where's everyone else going? We're not focused on what we're supposed to be doing. We're not focused on Christ. And when we do, we can slip and fall. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, do not let your guard down. Keep your eyes on Christ. Be thankful because it guards us. Number two, thankfulness guards our hearts, guards us from lies. When we're unthankful, we focus on what we don't have. And this gives space in our hearts and minds for lies to take root, and we can begin to walk in those lies. Verse three of Psalm 73 Three through five says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. As a Levite priest, Asaph served God by serving God's people. And when he looked at the world around him, he didn't like what he saw. Because the common people back in Old Testament times had really, really hard lives. Morning tonight was nothing but toil. Their long days of work were not for building huge savings or retirement or building a dream home or buy a nicer and more possessions. They were just trying to survive. And Asaph looks at how the wicked are prospering, the powerful are prospering, and he's lamenting they have no pangs until death. To define our terms, pang, P-A-N-G, is this sudden feeling of emotional distress or longing, or a sudden physical pain. It's a pang, sharp. Asaph is distressed and he's overwhelmed. He's asking, why do the wicked have pain-free, stress-free lives? Why do good people struggle and bad people flourish? Their bodies are fat and sleek, he says, because in olden times, obesity was a sign of wealth. The um, original Mediterranean diet was not nearly as glamorous as what we know of today. You know, you've seen it on the magazine covers, on the Food Network, the Mediterranean diet, and there's some hand-carved olive wood platter, and there's all these colorful fruits and cheeses and meats. You think, wow, what it must have been like to be alive back then and just eat grape leaves and hang out at the Mediterranean Sea. No, the common people didn't eat that way. The original Mediterranean diet was actually called Eat Enough and You Get to Live Until Tomorrow. But it didn't sell a lot of books, so they had to dress it up a little bit. But you hear the anguish in Asaph's voice. Why is it that the wicked can just lay around and eat fancy foods that someone else prepares for them? It's just not right. And this over-focus on what others are doing and what, on the, what the wicked are doing opens us up to believing and walking in lies. And we see that in Asaph, verse 13. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. 
That's a twofold lie. Because the first part of the verse, he's saying, I'm good. I'm a good guy. I do things, I do things well. I'm good. Well, good compared to whom? The wicked? Uh, that's easy. I mean, they're wicked. That's in the, in the name. So if I'm better than the wicked, that doesn't mean I'm good. Compared to Christ, I see I fall short. So when I'm not looking at him and I'm looking at everyone else, I can think, you know what, I'm doing pretty well. Why don't I get the things that I want? That's a lie number two, he believed. Because I'm good, I deserve these things. Where's my payout, God? I'm keeping my hands clean. And here you have a mature believer asking, what's the point of doing the right thing? Why live righteously when it's the prideful and the sinful and the wicked that prosper? Of course, we know that uh, the wealthy, powerful, famous, ungodly, prideful do not have perfect lives. And of course, I'm not saying that anyone who's wealthy is, is wicked. Um, I know plenty of broke people that are wicked. I don't believe that money changes people. This is just my personal view. I believe that money allows us to afford to be who we really are. Maybe some of you in here today would be vicious dictators and warlords, but you just can't afford it. That's good. I'm glad. You see the celebrities, you see the wealthy, and by all appearances, they have everything, yet it seems like almost weekly, monthly, overdose, suicide, overdose, suicide, overdose, suicide, divorce, 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 among the richest people that have everything that we think we want. But when you're so focused on that, you, you, you don't see all that. You just see the stuff. Why don't I have that? And we're no longer thankful. But we see a change in Asaph's heart. Remember, this is a song that he's written. And so the first verse, he kind of gives away the conclusion and then comes back to it. But he gives us an honest view of what was happening in his heart. And how did he come around? How did he repent? How did God get his heart right? In verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Asaph came into God's presence and he gazed upon the Lord and he was able to say, then I discern their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. My friends, God is truth. God is the owner and the inventor and the holder of truth. And when we look away from him, we have no guarantee that the messages we see and hear are true. And in the way that we live, our views can be shaped by lies. Thankfulness guards us from these lies. Number three, thankfulness, thankfulness guards us from an ungodly worldview. Worldview is, is how we see and comprehend the world around us, and it shapes our belief system. He says in 73 verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. It just comes so easy to them. I want to focus on two words in that verse, ease and riches. Isn't that what the world tells us we want? Isn't that what the world tells you you deserve? Ease and riches, laziness and greed. Wherever we set our gaze sets the standard for what we desire, 
how we live, how we build our lives, and it's been this way from the very beginning. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, the first two humans, Adam and Eve, in verses six and seven of Genesis chapter three, the Bible says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. If you're thinking about thankfulness, it's important to understand that every pain, every sorrow, every sickness that we face in this life goes back to the first two humans who had everything, but they focused on the one thing they couldn't have. Every bit of sorrow we face is because the first two humans were not thankful. They were surrounded by perfection, everything that they could ever want or need, but they looked upon what they shouldn't have had. And Satan used this to shape Adam and Eve's worldview. Verse 1 of Genesis 3 says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Now if you're new to church, new to the Bible, this is the very beginning, God telling the true story of how we came to be. God created all the animals. He created man. He created woman. And now we have Satan who's taking the form of a serpent here to distract them and take their eyes off of what they really had. The serpent said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, that's when she took it, she ate it, she gave some to her husband. We can even put emphasis on things that are good. We can get off track by over-focusing on some good things. In the book of Luke, Jesus sent out these 72 disciples to go out and preach the gospel and said, I'm going to send you out to heal the sick and preach to the poor. And in verse 17 of Luke 10, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. That's awesome. But there's more. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Obviously, healing the sick and casting out demons would not be considered worldly wicked things. But Jesus is teaching his disciples that they need to focus and rejoice in the right things. What's more important, spiritual gifts or the spirit as a gift to us? See what I mean? God is not good because he gives us gifts. He gives us gifts because he is good. And if our worldview is built around earthly things, then our lives will then prioritize the pursuit of worldly things. Thankfulness guards our worldview 
because we're not going to be focused on the lesser things. We'll be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, thankfulness guards us from envy and bitterness. In Psalm 73, you have Asaph just crying out, talking about how envious and bitter he was at the wicked and the wealthy. But Proverbs tells us in, in chapter 24, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, their lips talk of trouble. Envy is wanting what someone else has. It's a sin against that person, and it's a sin, most of all, against God. Where, how far will it take us? Look at verses 21 and 22 of Psalm 73. Asaph, the mature priest that leads people in worship, says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, how did I become? What was I like? I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. See how far off track we can get. It's not always about material possessions either. Sometimes it's about weightier things. Health, life, this is definitely where I can struggle. When I see a, a godly family with a sick child, when I see a godly person die young, yet many wicked, evil people live long lives. And I think that's reasonable from a human standpoint, but if we look deeper into the heart, what I'm saying is, God, in all your infinite wisdom, you got it wrong. Because I think, Lord, you should have done it this way, the way I would choose. How prideful that is. I was like a beast toward you, Asaph said in, in the midst of his envy as he focused on the wrong things. Have you ever known a truly bitter person? Surely you have. You spend a little bit of time around them, and it just, they're like vampires of joy. They just extract it from you. And you might walk in, what a beautiful day, and you just walk out, you know, Charlie Brown, kicking the dirt, everything's terrible, uh, everything's awful, nothing tastes good, food is disgusting, people are dumb. <laughs> Have you ever known a truly thankful person? You're around them, and they're like a fountain of joy. You spend some time with them, you walk out, and you think, you know what, life isn't so bad. I mean, think about two people that are gonna mow their grass. And one guy walks outside and says, ah, I just mowed this grass last week. And the other guy says, thank God for all the rain we've had. Look how beautiful and green everything is. Same circumstance, same situation, different viewpoint. We wanna be the people that are thankful. That way we can put that joy in other people. So Asaph wrote this song, Psalm 73, looking back on where his heart was. And he begins with the conclusion of the matter, then he begins to unpack kind of the mental, emotional journey that he was on. He says in verse one, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And he talks about the struggle he had because of his focus being on the wicked. He was a child of God. He was a mature believer. He was a servant of God. But all that seemed to be forgotten when he looked elsewhere. And we get to see how God worked in Asaph's heart. He said it seemed a wearisome task to understand this. But then in verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I got it. Psalm 73, verses 23 and 24, Asaph says, Nevertheless, God, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Think about this. 
Did the things that Asaph just mentioned become true when he became thankful? No. God is always with us. God always holds our hand. His counsel, his word is always right. It always guides us. The promise of being received by him into glory is always true. The tomb of Jesus is always empty. The penalty of sin is paid. The Holy Spirit lives in his people. He empowers us to live for him. And God's promises are not true because we're thankful. They're true because he is good. God's blessings are real whether we acknowledge them or not. When we're thankful, we're more aware of the abundance of God's goodness because we're looking for it. Think about this. Both the bitter and the joyful Christian have the same Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? They have the same Holy Spirit. They're just looking at two different directions. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When I wake in the morning, I have a choice of how I see the day. If I focus on what others have and what I want, I will completely miss what God has already given me. If I focus on the blessings in my life, I will completely miss the bitterness and despair that comes from envying other people. We are protected, guarded by thankfulness. My friends, a corrupted worldview, unthankfulness in our hearts, bitterness can only be reversed when we look upon God. Asaph is asking the age-old question, why do the wicked prosper? It's a logical question. It's frustrating. But there's a better question than why do the wicked prosper? Why are we looking at the wicked? When I focus on worldly people and worldly things, I have no attention left to focus on Christ. And Asaph reminds his own heart of God's goodness. And around here we hear our pastors say things like, preach the gospel to yourself. That's new terminology, that sounds strange. Preach the gospel to yourself because you maybe have only heard the gospel in the context of becoming a believer, getting saved, when there's so much more to it. Preaching the gospel to yourself is reminding yourself of what you already know to be true. Asaph is saying out loud and writing what he already knows to be true. He's saying it because he needs to hear it. He's writing it because he needs to see it and hear it. He says in verses 24 through 26, God, you guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My friends, God is on his throne. The righteous do not go unrewarded. The wicked do not go unpunished. And we get to see the transformation of a man's heart in Psalm 73. He moved from his earthly, temporary view of life to the correct, eternal, true view of how good God is. Thankfulness keeps our eyes on the Lord, and keeping our eyes on the Lord makes us thankful. And here's what I want you to think about in just a moment. Can you say that you live a thankful life? life. Upon what are you gazing? 
Who has your attention? What do you look to? Who do you look to to shape your worldview? Are you in danger of stumbling because you envy others? I want to invite you today to search your heart. Ask God to make it known to you. Let's sing. Let's live as people who are thankful. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for honesty in your word. It is not a book of stories of triumph, stories of only victory, but we see believers just like us struggling and stumbling to know what to do. We see believers on a good path that then fall into sin. And God, from that we can learn not only how to avoid those pitfalls, but we see over and over again how good you are how beautiful you are to welcome us back in, to forgive us and to restore us. God, I ask that you help us to see the places in our lives that we're focused on the wrong thing. Help us to see the ways that we have let the world shape our worldview, where we have let ungodliness and wicked people shape what we want, what we desire and how we act and how we speak, the things that we work for, the priorities in our lives, God, help us this morning to reset all of that, that your Holy Spirit can shape us in our hearts, in our minds, our desires, that would change who we are, that we would be people who are thankful, focused on you and your goodness. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your great love. And just pray that today we would be changed by you. We would be encouraged, that we would bless others, that we would use our gifts for your glory and for the good of your church. Thank you for your great love. We thank you that in our sinfulness, in our lostness, in our evil, in our state of completely being irredeemable and unlovable, you love us. You sent Jesus to die the death that I deserve as my substitute on the cross. He paid our sin debt and rose from the dead three days later. We have hope that we can live for you because it's not based on our own power. It's based on your power in us. We pray that your power would work here this morning. Change us, glorify your son, glorify your name. We pray all this in the name of Jesus.